Hey, thanks for checking out West Church Online. We are so glad that you're taking a few minutes out of the busyness of life to hear what we have to say today. We are going to talk about the power of forgiveness. We are in a message series talking about power and, and what power does for us and in us and what kind of power we have to do things uh, for us and in the world. And today, one of the concepts that we're going to talk about is truly transformational. It is the idea of forgiveness. And we are going to talk about how we wrestle with it, why we wrestle with it, and what it can do for us if we will learn the power of forgiveness. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're newer to listening or watching our messages, we would love for you to check out uh, who we are and what we're about. You can text the word welcome to the number that you see on your screen right now. In just a few seconds, I'll read it out loud. So if you want to get your mobile device ready to text that word. you text that word, we send you some information about who we are. We have a free gift for you. And then you can choose whether or not you opt in to hear more about who we are. The number is 704-343-8955. 704-343-8955. Thanks, and I really think you will find today's message a thought pr- thought-provoking. It really made me stop and think about things and people that I need to forgive and what forgiveness does for us in our lives and how that power really does change us. So thanks for being here today. So we are talking about baggage versus luggage. Baggage is all that stuff that we carry around behind us and we need to let go of. And um, hurt and pain that's been caused to us by others, that's part of our baggage. Luggage is the stuff that like we pack up all nice and neat and then we take it with us very intentionally. So what kind of luggage do we want to take with us as we find ourselves on the last half of summer and thinking about those last vacations that maybe we can get in? You know, we want to we want to take really good stuff with us on our trips and we don't want to take a lot of baggage. Uh, we want to take luggage. And so today we are going to talk about something that is just pivotal for all of us and is probably one of the most difficult things that we deal with and it is the concept of forgiveness. We all uh, have things that happen in our lives that people do to us that hurt us, make us angry, cause us to be afraid and we wrestle with forgiveness because we are so human and it is one of the most powerful concepts that we can identify with and embrace. So yes, 
yesterday morning, uh, you may have heard us talk about the launch of Soul Creations. You're going to hear a lot about that in the next several weeks. We are launching a new 501c3 out of West, and it will, will be aligned with West, but it will have a greater mission and vision. It will subsidize Growth Co., our campus for 20 and 30-year-olds. It will subsidize Amped, our children's ministry that has like over 85 kids that get a free subscription box every month, and it is based on character development, learning kindness and gentleness and compassion and joy and all those things, and it will also subsidize our Uganda campus that is up and running. They have fellowship. Uh, That's their word for worship every Saturday, and it's going really well, and they've met a business partner, a hotel manager that lets them use their space, and so West Campus now is on the other side of the world and and going strong, and guess what? All those things cost money, and you know, years and years ago when religion was like the thing, and I mean, honestly, like 45 years ago when I was small, the world stopped on Sunday morning. Like, you didn't do anything because the majority, at least here in the South, the majority of the people on Sunday morning from the hours of nine until noon, they were in church. It's what you did. And so the whole culture and the whole society was geared around people going to church. Now, guess what? Part of that going to church thing also included this concept called tithe. And you you gave 10% of your income. And it's just what you did. And, you know, lots of churches have benefited from that over the years. And, and you know, they have hefty, hefty, hefty bank accounts. And that's wonderful for them. The problem with that, though, is uh, when you have a hefty bank account, it does not make you very diligent about pivoting and making sure that you're meeting the needs of the people. And because people put their money where their passion is, and we invest in things we believe in. So the sad thing is, and this is what all the, or a lot of the denomination, like United Methodist officials will say, is that churches that have a lot of money don't necessarily have a lot of ministry because they have old money. They have money they've had for a really long time. And it's a comfort zone, so they don't pivot. And so then the the flip side of that is young churches like West, you know, we've never had years to build up hundreds of thousands of dollars in a bank account. And the good news is, like, our ministry keeps going uh, along and... uh, our money. I mean, it happens, but it's not like we're banking excess. And so when we had these three amazing opportunities, Amped, Growth Co., and Uganda all come at once, we're like, you know what? I mean, there's got to be another way. Like, we do want you and ask you to invest your financial resources into our mission and vision. We ask you to do it in an intentional, ongoing way, like once a month. Make a commitment to West and give. You can give online and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, In our society, we want something for our money. Like we we want a service, and and yeah, you can hear me, and if you want to consider that a service, that's fine. But you can also Google and get theological insight and self-help for free. And so it's, it's time that the church offers people something that's going to be 
more transformational than just a talking head uh, once a week on a Sunday morning or maybe a small group of community. So we've been wrestling with that. Like, what do we do with that? And we also believe that we have talents and gifts of people within the faith community, some of the staff. And so out of all this came the idea to launch Soul Creations. And so what our long-term goal is, is to offer like classes. Uh, there's this thing called Plant House in Charlotte. Now there's one in Huntersville. They charge $40, $45 a time and you go and you build a terrarium or then there's a paint by uh not paint by numbers, but you pay and you go paint. I mean, so all these people are offering these classes, these opportunities. You pay to go. You come away with a product. Well, why can't the church do that? And But to keep it clean, we're making it a nonprofit and not a church. And so for the past three or four months, Dawn, Lane, Lindsay, and I have been brainstorming, like, what can this look like and what can we do? So this weekend, yesterday, we launched our first, very first, very elementary attempt at Soul creations. And we went to this pop-up shop uh, for a yoga studio in Denver. Now, the good news is we had a very high return on people that were interested in our products. We took some of the items that were handmade in Uganda by our friends that we brought back, and and people were fascinated with that. Uh, We had jewelry. We had... er, handmade jewelry, handmade candles, and um, the the stuff was in resin, new resin products like flower vases and bookmarks and frames, and, and it was it was cool and it was fun, and the people that came by, they were like, wow, we really like your stuff. Now, the bad thing was the foot traffic at this event, I think there were like maybe 20 people. 15 of those came to our booth, and at least 13 of those made a purchase, so the good news is we had a high return of, of interest, but the bad news is there were only 20 20 people in four hours at this event. Now, that is, it was a great learning experience for us. But what we found is that when we started talking to people about who we are and what Soul Creations does, like Amped and helping the kids in Third Creek and then Uganda and then 20 and 30 year olds, people were really passionate about that. There was this energy and excitement around what we were doing. Now, the really interesting thing is you were supposed to set up your booth by 8 a.m. Like it was, you were supposed to start at 8 and finish by 8.45. So when Dawn and I got there, it was right on the money as far as what time we needed to be there. And we got ready to go to our spot. And then all of a sudden, we noticed that everybody, all the other vendors, were picking up their tents and moving them across the parking lot. And we're like, what are they doing? Like, what's the deal? And so one of the other vendors said, you know, hey, uh, we're having to move over here. Every time we touch our tent, we get shocked. I'm like, what in the world? And they're like, yeah, every time we touch our tent, we get shocked. And then we looked up behind us and we saw what you see on your screen right now. We saw these huge power lines from Duke Power. We were over in Denver near the the steam station, like where it goes from there to the the ultimate one over in Huntersville. And um, these huge power lines and you could hear, literally, you could hear the energy pulsing through the power lines. And it was this constant like all morning long. Now, even though their tents were not connected in any way to any of that power, that power was so strong there in that area that if they would just physically go and touch their tent, it would shock them. It was, it was just It was amazing. It was an amazing concept. And all morning long as I stood there and heard the power pulsing through the air, I'm like, how 
How interesting that this happens today when we are in the middle of a message series at West talking about power. We can talk about power, we can experience power, we can see it, we can get shocked, we can go through all those things. But if we don't do anything with it, then it just remains something that we observe and not something that we internalize and allow to transform us. The point of, the point of faith the point of church, the point of religion, the point of spirituality is to give us transformation. Like we need to be different. We need to be different than we were last week or last month or even yesterday. Like our goal in life is to be on a journey and to go from being here to there. A huge part of that is our willingness to learn the concept of forgiveness. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The power of forgiveness, the power of understanding that we are a forgiven people and that like God, love, the universe forgives us of our stuff. I mean, that's such a powerful concept and that's something that I hope you understand and you embrace. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about the concept of us forgiving others and we can say we do it, we can try to do it. But until we really, really do it, we don't experience that power of transformation. So today I want, us to, I, want us, I want to help us understand how we do it. Harvard did a study on the power of forgiveness and how we forgive. And so there's this uh, word called reach. And it's one of those anagrams where every letter stands for something. I want you to remember that by the end of today's message, I want you to remember reach. And if we will all do that, we will experience the the power and the transformation that comes within us when we forgive other people. So right now, before we go any further, I want you to think about very intentionally, who is someone that's hurt you? Odds are we have a list of people, right? Like it's probably not just one or two. Truth is that some of the people that hurt us may not even be around anymore. They may not even live. They may uh, be in the eternal realm now. So we're hurt by people in our past. We're hurt by people in our present. I want you very, very intentionally to think about the people that you need to forgive. Who is someone that has hurt you or wronged you? And I want you to hold on to that as we walk through today's message so if you uh, were worshiping with us on live stream, every Sunday morning we do live stream at 9 a.m. And we always start with a video so that you recognize, oh, if you're getting your cup of coffee, oh, it's time for worship to start now. And you come in to wherever your uh, listening device or visual device is located. And Josh picks out those videos for us and, and does such a great job with that. And, but I recognize that, and especially for those of you who are our on-demand watchers, you don't get that opportunity. Sometimes we will link the video in our dialogue on our YouTube channel uh, or in the notes section of our website so that you can go, if we reference it in the message, you can go and watch it. But today the video is just so powerful, I would like for us to watch it together. It is taken from the movie The Shack. We did this as a message series, gosh, four or 
five years ago. It seems like yesterday. But then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, I really think it was like five years ago when we did that. And the the whole world has changed since then. It might be worth revisiting, actually. I'm not even sure the makeup of West Church is the same as it was five or six years ago when we did that series. It was a book. It was written, gosh, I don't know, almost 20 years ago by Paul Young. And it was this whole concept of a man who had experienced horrific, horrific tragedy in his life. His daughter was murdered, his little girl. And she was murdered. And it's his journey through experiencing the pain and betrayal and his wrestling with God. And it truly is just one of the most revolutionary movies. And it made our culture and our, and book, our culture and our society start talking about the concept of God and the Trinity. And uh, they depict the Trinity in very unique ways in the movie. And uh, it just, it really started this like faith revolution of even understanding God in a different way. Everyone was talking about the shack, whether you were a Christian or a follower of Christ or not. And so then a few years later, they came out with a movie. Now, the scene that we are getting ready to show you is Mackenzie with uh, one of the images of the Trinity. And I'm not going to explain all this to you because I don't want to blow the movie if you haven't seen it. But Mackenzie is wrestling with forgiving the murderer of his daughter. And the murderer was known to be the ladybug killer. He would leave, he was a serial killer, and he would leave an item at the scene of the crime in the shape and form of a ladybug. And so uh, the presence of the ladybug in this clip is very, very important and also very powerful I want you to very intentionally, before we dive into the rest of the message, I want you to watch this clip. I want you to pay really close attention to all the things that are said. Uh, This just, it really sums up the whole message in this one clip. Take a look. He killed my daughter. I want to hurt him. I want him to hurt like he hurt me. I want you to hurt him. I know you do. But he too is my son. And I want to redeem him. Redeem him? He should burn in hell. So we're back to you as the judge. So you you just let him get away with it? Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. What he did was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish your relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac, the pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. I can't. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't. 
have to do this alone. I'm here with you. I don't know how. Just say it out loud. Such a powerful, powerful clip. Interesting that God, you know, when... Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, we had a technical issue. Uh, sorry. Uh, Mackenzie, when he lets go of the the pain and the anger and the hate. You know, I think uh, when he was gripping his hand and holding that ladybug in his hand, he was considering, like, killing it, crushing it. And then, you know, he's like, I don't know how. And God says, you just say, I forgive you. And so he does, and something happens. And then he opens his hand, and the ladybug lets, flies away, and he lets it go. The freedom that we have when we learn to forgive, it's absolutely, it is a game changer. And, you know, I'd, in planning this message, I always think about, you know, so like what examples do I share with you and, and all these kinds of things. And I have, I mean, out of 25, 26, 27 years of ministry, I have so many examples of how this is a real thing in people's lives. I mean, people deal with this all the time. And I promise you, like, it is a real, real thing. So today we are going to continue doing what we do. We are going to marry spirituality and science. And I want you to look at some true, true words that are found in Scripture. And I also want to show you some scientific principles. And then we're going to see how these two things merge together and how we can be a people of forgiveness. So the first thing that I want you to see on your screens is the idea that there are two sides to forgiveness. Two sides. And this is what we just saw in that clip on the shack. Like there is a decisional side and then there is an emotional side. I don't make any bones about the fact that I've been in therapy uh, over, over and over, on and off throughout my years of adulthood. It is a valuable tool. One of the times that I was going through a very, very difficult place in my life and, and actually trying to figure out like what was wrong with my marriage and, and why things weren't going the way they needed to go, I, I went to my therapist and uh, my spouse was not interested in going to therapy with me. So I'm like, I'm going to at least fix what I can so that this can be better. And I was sitting with the therapist and I said, well, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like. And he's like, well, there's one of your problems. And he said, I'm not saying it's all you, but I'm saying that you and your spouse, you, you think and feel very differently. Uh, because my therapist knew my spouse as well. He said, you know, your spouse is a thinker. 
and you are a feeler. And when those two ideas and concepts and ways of being collide without respect for the other, it's difficult. And you know what? He was right. Like, when I started paying attention to the way that we would argue, I would, I would come at it and I'd say, well, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like. And my spouse would be like, well, I think. And I'm like, we're, this is one of our problems. Like, he thinks and I feel. I need to start thinking more and feeling less. And so over the past 10 years, that's been something that I really have worked on, thinking more and feeling less. In the idea and concept of forgiveness, it has two sides. It has the side that we have to think about forgiving that person. We have to make that conscious decision to forgive them. And then we have to feel the forgiveness as well. So let's look at what decisional forgiveness is about. Decisional forgiveness is the conscious choice to replace negative thoughts with good ones. You choose. You choose. So someone that's hurt you, like when they come to your mind and you start thinking about them and thinking about what they've done, instead of only thinking about the bad things that they've done, you, you stop yourself and you're like, you know what? No, I'm not going to just think about the bad. I am also going to think about the good. Because guess what? Like you saw in that clip from The Shack, everyone has redeemable qualities. No one is all bad. No one. No matter how bad and how horrific, everyone has some glimmer of redemption within them. And even if we can't see that, we have to remember that there's a power that's greater than us that can. And sometimes we have to rely on that power more. But we have to decide, like, I'm going to think positive and and find the good in this, despite the bad. So, There's the first part of it, which is decisional forgiveness. And then the second part is emotional. Decisional forgiveness, even though it may not seem easy, honestly, out of the two, decisional forgiveness is way easier than emotional because emotional is the stuff that we feel. And if we're a feeler, like we feel things deeply, We can change our thoughts a lot easier than we can change our feelings. And our feelings are associated with our thoughts. But emotional forgiveness is when we no longer think about the negative and painful feelings. When we think about that person. When we no longer think about the negative and painful feelings. When we think about that person. So there are so many different words in Scripture that mean forgiveness. I'm going to show you two today. They are from the New Testament, and these are the two uh, Greek words that are found the most frequently in the New Testament. The first means leave behind, and the second means to forget, to be free from, and to have liberty to leave behind or to forget and be free from and have liberty. So when Jesus was with uh, Andrew and Peter and calling them to follow him, 
when he says, follow me, the word that he uses in that is akin to the first Greek word that you see there. And it says, leave behind. He wanted them to leave behind all of their, their stuff and follow him. So when we think about the idea of forgiveness, we've got to remember that it is truly a leaving it behind. This is that baggage that we've been talking about that we just have to let go of. And then the second is that we need to forget it, that we need to be free from it. And being free means that we experience that freedom and we have that liberty. So now what I want us to do is I want us to walk through those five letters from Harvard, the anagram of reach. It starts first with R and it's recall. So this is really how we go about forgiving. We recall the wrongdoing in an objective way, and we come to a clear understanding of the wrong that was done. Do you know sometimes when bad things happen to us, like we grandiose them in our minds and we make them way, way, way worse than they really were and are. Like we, anytime we interpret anything, we bring all of our past and our ideas and our physical constructs to how we think about things into that situation. And so we, when we start thinking about it, like all of that comes up. And so when someone hurts us, it's really hard for us to only look at that one particular instance because we bring everything else back into it. And that's not fair. That's not fair to the situation at hand that needs forgiveness. We really have to start thinking about, okay, like what is this situation and only this situation. Let's only deal in the present moment. Recall the wrongdoing in an objective way, not lumping all past hurt and pain on it. And come to a clear understanding of what was done. When we do that, we'll find that it's a whole lot easier to work through and get to that de decisional and emotional forgiveness. So the first thing is recall. So the second letter is an E, and it is to empathize. I've shared whole messages on empathy in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching over a series of, of days and ideas. He said, uh, be merciful. And you know what merciful was to be meek and merciful? It meant to show empathy, and it meant to put yourself in the shoes of the other person, like not to look at it from your shoes in their life, but you actually like, you move yourself from where you are and you get in their skin and you look at stuff from their eyes. Think about what they are going through. People have all kinds of things that make them do what they do when they do it. And people act out of fear and pain. Uh, and one of our statements at West is to always remember that hurting people hurt people. So when someone hurts you, they are hurting in some way. They're either hurting from pain, hurting from anger, or hurting from fear. But they're hurting. And so when people hurt, guess what? They hurt other people. When we need to forgive someone, we have to think about why. Why did they do what they did? 
I mean, there's a reason. There's always a reason. We may not be able to figure it out. We may not be able to get to the root of it, but there's always a reason. We need to have empathy. So uh, there's a scripture in Ephesians that I'd like to share with you. There's so many passages, like I shared with you about forgiveness and in the scripture, but Paul in the letter to Ephesus said, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. So when we find that we need to forgive other people, it's really important that we remember that as a people, the way that we tap into this love is to remember that we've been forgiven. And the ultimate forgiver is Jesus Christ. Like he shows us, even though they're killing him, he offered forgiveness and can you think about all the ways that when something is killing you or, or robbing you of life, to be able to say, no matter how bad this is for me right now, I forgive you. I'm going to let it go. My anger and my pain and my hurt, I'm going to let it go. Do we understand that that's the message of the cross like we talk about his bloodshed and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's a powerful idea. It's a powerful theory of atonement. But the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is so much more. And honestly, it is so much about forgiveness and the freedom and the life that comes, the newness that comes, the resurrection that comes when we learn to forgive. The very people that were killing him. In his dying breaths, when it was agonizing to breathe, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't it interesting that that's in Scripture in Harvard, okay, which is a pretty reputable learning institution. Harvard comes up with, okay, we should, you know, like recall objectively, and then we should empathize. Science and faith, they go along with one another. Jesus looked at it from their perspective. We're called to as well. And when we're called to look at it from their perspective, it helps us have a little more grace. And it helps us be a little less hurt and less angry. Now, I am not saying it takes away all the anger and all the pain because it doesn't. When we're hurt, that's real. But it allows us to work through the hurt and the anger and the pain a little quicker. When we try to think about why they did what they did. So the next letter is an A. Recall, empathize, and then A. An altruistic gift. This goes along with what Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. Like, recognize and address. You've got some shortcomings too. At some point in your life, you've been forgiven for something. Shouldn't you offer that to others? At some point, we've been forgiven. At some point, we've hurt someone, and they've forgiven us. If someone's given us that gift, shouldn't we give it to others? So R, E, A, and then C, commit. We need to commit ourselves to forgive like that's that decision that we make. We have to decide that we're going to do it. And the way that we do that is by maybe journaling. I hate to journal like it's not my thing. But um, I'm willing to shoot off an email 
So what if you do this? What if you write an email or a letter to the person that you need to forgive, but you don't send it, okay? You don't click send. You just write it and get it all out and then let it go. You commit to making that decision of letting that pain go. Another way that we can do that is by telling a friend, someone that we can absolutely trust. Say, look, this person hurt me, and and this is how I'm hurting, and I need to be able to decide to forgive them and let it go. And the only way I can do that is by talking about it. I'm a verbal processor, so in order for me to process things, I have to talk about it. Some people don't, but it's okay to need to talk about the pain that's been done. And then own that we need to decide to forgive. So recall, empathize, realize that we've been given the gift of forgiveness, so shouldn't we give it to someone else, the altruistic gift, and then commit to forgiving, and finally, hold. H is hold. Hold on to the forgiveness, because Those thoughts are going to come back, and we're going to remember what they've done to us, and that's going to trigger that pain. But what if immediately when we're triggered, we go back to that we need to hold on to the forgiveness and recognize that forgiveness is not erasure, but rather the transformation of thoughts and feelings. Like, we're not saying it didn't happen And we're not giving pardon for someone to do it again. Sometimes I think we think if we forgive people that we're giving them permission to go and do it again. And that's not true. It doesn't erase it. But it does transform it. And that's salvation. Salvation is transformation. That's what being a spiritual person, a follower of Jesus, is all about. Being transformed. There's so many examples in Scripture of being forgiven. Jesus, when the four friends brought their friend and lowered him through the roof, Jesus said, you know, by the faith of your friends, you have been forgiven and made well. And then the woman at the well who had multiple, multiple partners and she was scorned by everyone, Jesus offered her love and water of new life and he forgave her. I mean, there's so many examples, and there's examples in the Hebrew scriptures as well. Years ago, when we started talking about needing security measures within the life of the church, like doing background checks on people that work with our children and our youth. Uh, This all started coming into conversation about 18 to 20 years ago. Prior to that, like, we didn't think about it, right? Like, we didn't think, oh, people will go to be a part of a church to maybe commit wrongdoings. And then in one of the churches in the area where I was serving 25 years ago, one Sunday morning, uh, a man kidnapped a child from the nursery And uh, other instances started happening. So the Methodist denomination said, we need to put into place something that holds us accountable as an institution to hold people accountable. So that started this thing called Safe Sanctuary and doing background checks on people and all this kind of stuff. But then, of course, when you put a policy in place, there's all this debate. And nobody really knew what to do. So what do you do if you get a background check back from someone and they have some stuff? I sat in lots of preacher meetings where that was the debate. And as you can imagine, 
the thoughts on that were as broad as the sea. Some folks are like, well, if they have any wrongdoing on a background check, they don't have any business being in the church. And then luckily someone else would speak up and say, but isn't the church the place that those who are hurting and wounded should be able to come and, and find acceptance? And then someone would say, well, that's a, yeah, sure, but that doesn't mean they have to work with our children. And then someone would say, well, can you imagine what that's going to feel like, that they're going to be scorned and have like the scarlet letter on their chest? This is a huge debate. And it still goes on today, like who can be a pastor, who can't, and if you've committed a crime, blah, blah, blah. The other day, uh, Lexi was sharing with me and our staff, like she spent some time with leaders in our denomination talking about the future of the church. And they were talking about people who feel called to ministry. And they were debating who could be certified and candidates and all this kind of stuff. And uh, someone said, well, you know, if um, they've done time, then they're not qualified to be in this program. And someone else and said, you know, uh, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, if they've gone to jail or prison, like they can't be a pastor. And someone said, you know, we don't want a murderer leading people. And look, I'm not giving a blanket uh, statement that says all people should be allowed to be pastors. Like that's, There's a lot of stuff that goes into what we do and how we're chosen and all that kind of stuff, like psychological surveys and, and tests and that kind of stuff. So my next statement is not saying that it just we should do whatever because there's always consequences to our actions, and sometimes those consequences really need to be there. But I want to remind us of one thing, like uh, when they made that statement about a murderer shouldn't be able to lead people, I said, well, Moses did. And the whole staff like jerked their head and looked at me like I'd grown seven heads. And I'm like, Moses, you know, the guy in the Old Testament led the people out of Egypt. And they're like, yeah, we know who Moses is. I'm like, he murdered a guy. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, he cut a guy's ear off for no good reason. He was actually in exile. Uh, he ran away. He got really, really mad one day at a soldier and cut his ear off and then stabbed him, murdered him, and then ran away. And that's where God called him when he had run away and was out alone. And look at the powerful things that God did through him when he was redeemed and forgiven. Powerful things happen when we forgive. Years ago, there was a couple, uh, they were dear friends of mine. And one Friday afternoon, she called me and she said, I need to meet with you right now. I said, well, you know, okay, um, I need to work out some child care and then I can meet you. And so I did. And through tears, she confessed to me that for the past year, she had been having an extramarital affair. I was shocked. Um, we were just longtime friends, didn't have anything to do with church, just friends. And uh, we had vacationed together during that time, like the couples without kids. And I was really disappointed. 
in her during that time. And But I also know that, you know, like we don't do things like that just for whims. So there's something, some void, something's wrong to make us want to do that. So we started talking and, and she revealed parts to me of her life. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not saying that it's all right that that's what you did, but I'm saying that clearly you had issues that you need to talk about with your spouse. And she said that she was going to tell him and that she was going to ask for forgiveness. Well, as you can imagine, like that, I don't care what you're wrestling with or how bad things have gotten, you know, infidelity is a real big deal. And so uh, it didn't go well when she sat down with him. I mean, they had four kids together and one was one and the oldest was seven. And and for him to learn that she had connected with somebody from high school, it just, it was devastating. Over the next year, they went to therapy together. She called me one day after their therapy session and she said, so today something revolutionary was said. It was very revealing to all of us, and I think it's the path that we'll be able to take to move forward. They were in therapy, and uh, the spouse was saying, you know, I'm so angry that you had an affair. Like, why couldn't you just come to me and talk to me about, you know, what was wrong? And then the therapist said, well, you've had an affair, too. And he jerked his head, and he's like, what do you mean, I've had an affair, And the therapist said, well, you know, over the past six weeks, you know, you both have shared with me very intimately and shared with one another the state of your marriage. And your spouse said she had an affair of this type. Well, for the last several years, you've been having an affair with your job. And you've never been home. You've traveled, you know, exorbitantly and just you've been married to your career. And your wife felt very alone. Now, that's not a reason to go be unfaithful. But I just want you to recognize that there's stuff on both sides right here. That's that empathy that Harvard talks about. It's that meekness that Jesus talks about. Be merciful and forgive. That couple, they're one of the strongest couples I know today. Like, they've been married 28 years now. And are stronger than ever before. Sometimes people say they can't make it through infidelity or they can't make it through something. If something happens, then they're done. And every decision's individualized and different. But regardless of the harm that's done to us, like the Jesus way is called to always look at it from their perspective. And whether we make life changes or not, like sometimes you do have to walk away. I mean, hello, my life is a part of that, a testimony of that. But it doesn't mean that we can't forgive. And that in forgiveness, it'll be free. So in two weeks, Scott and I, my former spouse, will gather together at our son's wedding. And it's not the way that I, you know, thought my little family would work out, right? But um, actually, uh, I I worried for a long time what this day would be like. And uh, before worship this morning, we were texting, do we want to all get together, like he and Tom and I, and uh, just have some conversation and a beer before we go up there, just so there's no awkwardness. And all parties will do that. Scott and I have hung out multiple times since the divorce. 
that was not easy because I didn't choose this path. But um, forgiveness is a real thing. And I promise it's when we forgive that we can become free and experience that peace and that power that only God can give. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we recognize that there is power in forgiveness and that it allows us to be whole. So thank you for allowing us to learn about the concepts of forgiveness, recalling and empathizing and recognizing that we've been given forgiveness as a gift and then committing to do it and holding on to it forever, reaching into ourselves and giving forgiveness. And thank you for forgiving us. We mess up so much. But you love us anyway. Help us give that love to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I hope you have a great week. Those people you thought about, remember to forgive them. 